Exodus chapter 5, starting verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord and said, O Lord, why have you done evil to this people? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak your name, he has done evil to this people, and you have not delivered your people at all. But the Lord said to Moses, Now you shall see what I will do to Pharaoh. For with a strong hand he will send them out, and with a strong hand he will drive them out of this land. God spoke to Moses and said to him, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. As God Almighty, but by my name, the Lord, I did not make myself known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, the land in which they lived as sojourners. Moreover, I have heard the groaning of the people of Israel, whom the Egyptians hold as slaves, and I have remembered my covenant. Say therefore to the people of Israel, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians, and I will deliver you from slavery to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people, and I will be your God, and you shall know that I am the Lord your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians." I will bring you into the land that I swore to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you for a possession. I am the Lord. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Normally I preach here at Grace Church at a funeral. Pleasure to be back. Trust me. It's been a while, but I've looked forward to this good opportunity to you faithful, uh, diligent learners of the Word of God. It's really a privilege. Thank you. If some of your days happen to go from bad to worse, maybe you can relate to the following. You had a terrible day at the office, even the coffee was bad. On your way home, you rear-end the car in front of you, which is a brand new luxury Mercedes. Ben's owners don't like to be rear-ended, so the guy threatens to sue you. When you pull in the driveway, you remember you forgot to pick up pizza for dinner. So the kids are starving and your wife is glaring. All of your bills or all of your mail is unpaid bills. And you remembered that your account went south three weeks ago. You have no money. The wife tells you that she got the biopsy reports and the doctor wants to see both of you first thing in the morning. Well, tomorrow is even worse. At breakfast, your 13-year-old daughter tells you that she is madly in love and wants to elope in Mexico. You spill coffee on your shirt and pants on the way to work. And when you get to work, you hear a rumor that management is considering letting you go. 
And then you get the call from the guy in the Mercedes that, yes, he is suing you. And, and, and. We all face bad days that get worse. Problem is, too many of them. Well, our man Moses did too. We tend to think of Moses as some type of golden boy. You know, looking like Charlton Heston in his appearance. A figure that is a marble statue that is not true. He was as human, trust me, as you and me. And he went through the ups and downs of life, the drives and impulses, the highs and lows. Yes, the good days and those bad days, just like any other human being, no one. No one escapes a bad day and a bad day getting worse. Exodus 5 and 6 tells of a day that, well, it really started out well, and then it turned bad, and then rapidly grew worse. Yes, it was one of those days for Moses and the children of Israel. Let's pray. Father, we offer up to you today our life. And I pray that you would speak to each life this morning. You understand the pain, the heartache, the disappointment, the disillusionment. You understand everything about the bad day that doesn't get any better, even to the point of being impossible. But Father, I rejoice that there is, a, there is an answer if we are willing to grab hold of what that answer is. It may not be what we think it is, but it is what you want it to be. So I pray that you will give to this great congregation of grace all of the grace it needs as it appropriates your word. You bless your word. You've promised it. And you really bless when it's lived out in our lives. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Chapter 4, verses 29 through 31, this day we spoke of really starts out very well. In verse 20, Moses and Aaron called together the leadership team of Israel. That's always a great place to begin. You get that leadership group together. Get them on board with what God is planning to do. And then in verse 30, you read that Aaron spoke to the leadership team. And he told them all that God had spoken to Moses when Moses was on his way back into Egypt. 
And after Aaron spoke to the leaders, Moses stood up and he assembled, he gathered all of the people together. And he performed in their presence three miraculous signs so that what God told him would be affirmed. That's the purpose of the sign. God spoke. Here's the affirmation. Three signs. The snake or the rod turning into a snake. The leprous hand and water turned into blood. So the people heard what God told Moses through Aaron and then Moses performed those miraculous signs and the response of the people in verses 31, 32 is just outstanding. Look what it says. The people believed and when they heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and they worshipped. The people believed. They grabbed it. They got it. That God is concerned about them. He's concerned about their bondage. He's concerned about their slavery. He's concerned about their misery. God's concern moved that assembly of people to bow down and worship and to adore Him. You might say that um, they were moved to, uh, to worship because they knew that God was moved by their misery. He was, he was aware He was concerned. He got the message. And when that connected with the lives of the people, it moved them into his presence to worship him. That is so in line with Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23. God's compassion, that is, his mercy reaching out to the miserable, his compassion never fails. The word never means never. It will never fail. Matter of fact, His compassion, His mercy, His understanding of our misery is fresh every morning. Great is Thy faithfulness. Great is Thy faithfulness. So the day started out pretty well, but in verses 1 to 5 of chapter 5, the day, the good day, turned bad. Moses and Aaron together approached Pharaoh, I believe, on a spiritual high. How could they not? God has revealed himself in word and through miraculous signs. And the people get it and they worship. That's a mountaintop spiritual experience. So with vitality and enthusiasm, I believe they 
march their way into the presence of Pharaoh who gave them an audience. And they say in verse 1, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, let my people go so that they may hold a festival to me in the desert. Hey, Pharaoh, our God has commanded us to do something. He's commanded us to leave Egypt, move into the desert, and hold a festival. And Pharaoh, he is serious. He is serious. We got to get out of this land. We've got to move into the desert. And Pharaoh says in verse 2, Seriously? You've got to be kidding. I don't know who this Lord God is that you're talking about. Besides, I am God. I am worship. I am the Lord. People worship me. This is ridiculous. Get out of here, Moses and Aaron. Command denied. First rejection. How discouraging. Well, Moses and Aaron come back in verse 3. And they move into round 2. And they give a further explanation of what God wants. They say the God of the Hebrews has met us. Literally in the original text it says the God of the Hebrews is on our side. Now let us take a three day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. That's what the festival is about. Or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. You see, Pharaoh, God is behind this. And we realize you don't understand that because you have this distorted idea that you and you alone are the God. But let me tell you something. He has commanded us to move into the desert And hold a festival which includes sacrifices to him. It includes a feasting. It is a celebration. And we need to do it within the span of three days. You know, kind of like a spiritual getaway. And if we don't, if we don't do what he has commanded us, let me tell you, Pharaoh, We are dead meat. And so are you and the people. Says at the end of the verse. He may strike us with plagues. Or with the sword. And Pharaoh comes back in verses 4 and 5. And he says. Moses and Aaron. Why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to work. Verse 5. 
Pharaoh said, look, the people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from worship. All you want is time off. Probably time off to go out into the desert and plan a strike. You are pulling these people away from their labor contracts that they've had with me. Get back to work. Another rejection slip. Double denial from what God wanted. Can you imagine the discouragement? You probably can. You've probably had that happen to you. You knew what God wanted you to do and what you had to say to a certain individual. It was absolutely clear and your hopes when you met with that person were sky high. You plotted the time. You practiced your statements. You knew the response could only be positive, a win win for them and for you you just knew that and then and then and then the cold icy freezing chill of nope not interested see you later The bad day gets worse. It gets worse not only for the people, but it gets worse for Moses. First for the people in verses 6 through 19. Notice that same day, that same day within 24 hours, Pharaoh brings together his management team made up of the Egyptian slave drivers and some turncoat Jewish foremen who supervised the slavery. Brings them together and he issued to them a command that honestly really wasn't good. Says in verse 6, You are no longer to supply the people with straw for making bricks. Let them go and gather their own. But require them to make the same number of bricks as before. Don't reduce the quota. They're lazy. That's why they're crying out, let us go and sacrifice to our God. Make the work harder for the men so that they keep working and pay no attention to their lies. Tighten the screws. Squeeze the people harder. We've supplied them with straw to solidify the making of the brick. Tell them to get their own. But we're not reducing the quota on a daily basis. It's got to be the same quota every day. You tell them that. 
tighten them up. Lazy people. Well, the management team goes out in verses 10 through 14, and that's exactly what they command the people. No straw. But it's the same number of bricks. Get busy. Start moving. You're on the clock. The difficult becomes impossible for these people. Like going to work without transportation. But you've got to be there by 8 o'clock every day. The impossible, like staying alive without food and water. Like being required to take an exam, but yet there's been no preparation. There's been no instruction. You just walk in and you hear from the prof, the teacher, take out your pencil, your pen. Or today, take out your computer. The impossible. Like trying to live a meaningful life without the person of Jesus Christ. How do you do that? Many of us tried that for years until we discovered that really doesn't work. But some persist, courageously persist. And trying to bring meaning to their life without the living person of Jesus Christ in their life. It's impossible. Verses 15 to 19, you have some labor negotiations with this management team. Those who were the slave drivers, you'll notice in verse 14, take the Jewish foremen and beat the living stew out of them. And then bleeding and bruised and probably half dead, they work their way into the court of Pharaoh. And they try to meet with him, and honestly, Pharaoh doesn't give a rip about what they're saying. He could care less. Verses 15 and 16. The Israelite foreman went and appealed to Pharaoh. Why have you treated your servants this way? Your servants are given no straw. Yet we're told, make bricks. Your servants are being beaten, but the fault is with your own people. And what's Pharaoh's answer? Verses 17 to 20. You want to know why? You ask the question why? Here's why. Verse 17. Lazy. You're lazy. That's what you are. That is why you keep saying, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. Now go. Get to work. You will not be given any straw, yet you must produce your full quota of bricks. 
So this good day that started out well turned bad and then it became worse over time and now it's to the point of being impossible. No straw provided yet the same quota of bricks every day. Impossible. Well, that's the people's bad day. But Moses' bad day gets even worse for him. It's not much better. Verses 20 through 21. When they left Pharaoh, they found Moses and Aaron waiting to meet them. Well, I bet they did. And they said, May the Lord look upon you and judge you. You have made us a stench as filth to Pharaoh and his servants. And you've put a sword in their hand to kill us. Moses, this is your fault. You're responsible. Things were okay. They were decent. Not good, but at least decent. Somewhat livable. But now they're impossible. Thanks, Moses. Good leadership. You've pulled off a great one here in Israel. Thanks a lot. More rejection. More rejection. And now the discouragement that you have felt from the rejection, it now begins to turn into a disillusionment. You see, Moses did what God wanted him to do. This isn't Moses coming up with his own plan of deliverance. No, he tried that once in Egypt. And it got him kicked out of the land 40 years in the desert. His plan didn't work. Well, this time he does exactly what God wants him to do. Almost word perfectly, he stood before Pharaoh and he repeated what God said. And the people he was trying to help, the people he was trying to serve, They turn around and now begin to curse him for their increased pain. You see, when you're misunderstood, that pain, it goes right to the heart. The pain of being misunderstood. You may have done the right thing. Absolutely the right thing with the right motives. But someone out there misjudged your motives. And as people are so prone to do, they bring stuff into your actions that you never intended. That was never what you thought about, but yet they're beginning to say that's what your motives were all about. 
And so you live under a heavy, dark cloud of harassment. Unable, unable to convince those who turned against you. Ever heard of the name of Justice Brett Kavanaugh? And see, that happens to us. And it happened to Moses. Misunderstood for trying to help. Well, it's about time that God and Moses get together. Finally, Moses comes up with that brilliant idea. And it's at the end of verse chapter 5 and on into chapter 6 that you have this talk between Moses and God. Moses begins by asking questions in verses 22 and 23. He knows in his mind that this exodus to get the people out of their bondage, out of their misery, well, that's in shambles. That's not going to work. And so he goes to God and he says this, verse 22. Oh, Lord, why? Why have you brought trouble upon this people? Is this why you sent me? I told you I wasn't the guy. I pleaded with you. But you insisted. So I relented. Reluctantly. Here we are. Ever since I went to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has brought trouble upon this people. And you haven't rescued your people at all. God, why? Why? I'm in trouble with the law. I'm hated by the people. I'm a failure. Why? Why this? Why now? Why now, the return of cancer? Why this, the child being bullied by their classmates? Why the rejection? Why the separation? Why the isolation? Why the unemployment? Why the physical pain? Why? Why? God gives some very wise counsel. And I don't want you to miss this. This is the heart of what I wanted to say. Everything else I've said was an introduction. (laughs) They play later this afternoon. 
God tells Moses two things. First, he tells him what he needs to hear. And that is who God really is. Second, he tells Moses what he will do. Who is God? Follow with me. I'll just summarize, point out some things. It's all the same thing in five verses. Who is God? Verse 2. I am the Lord. Verse 6. I am the Lord. Verse 7. I am the Lord. Verse 8. I am the Lord. Verse 29, in case you missed it. I am the Lord. I am the Lord. It's the same thing he told Moses at the burning bush. That's my identity, Moses. That's the place to focus, not upon how bad it is or may get. You focus, you fix your heart on who I am. I am the Lord. I am Yahweh. I am the great eternal I am. I am the sovereign Lord. I cannot be unfair. I cannot be unjust. It is not in my nature to be that. I am in control. You may not be, but I am, and I will always be in control. Always. I am the Lord. telling Moses he's always faithful because he's the Lord yeah always faithful always changeless always powerful always omniscient always reliable always compassionate always gracious always wise Always loving. You grab hold of your heart. And you anchor that heart. In who the Lord God is. On your worst day. When your schedule is pressing you. When the sails quit coming, when your hopes fade, when the events of your life are turning against you, when the healing doesn't come at the time that you want it and in the way that you want it, when you are absolutely clueless, hopeless, helpless, You fix your heart on who God is. And you remind yourself of this truth daily. Minute by minute. 
as often as you need it, constantly bring it to your heart. He is the Lord God. That's who he is. But second, he says, Moses, because of who I am, this is what I will do. Verse 1, see what I will do. Verse 6, I will bring you out. Verse 6, I will free you. Verse 6, I will redeem you. Verse 7, I will take you as my own people. Verse 7, I will be your God. Verse 8, I will bring you to the land. Verse 8, I will give it to you. You look at those seven realities. Those are all the dynamics of our personal salvation. Beautiful. What God did, bringing us out, freeing us, redeeming us, taking us as his people, being our God, bringing you to the land, giving it to you, that is a salvation experience. It's there. That's what I do. So what is God telling Moses? Very simply. Moses, because of who I am, I will do what is best for you. See, that's the theme. That's the motto. That's what you grab hold of. Even if you are in tears. You grab hold of that. And you know, sometimes your heart is so heavy and you are so troubled... It's hard to grab hold of it. So we constantly move to immerse ourselves in the presence of God. To convince ourselves that He is good and we devote ourselves to His Lordship. Remembering that because who He is, He will do what is best for us. He did it for Moses. He'll do it for you. Do it for me. What are the responses to that wise counsel? Well, you'll notice those in verses 10 through 13. Moses reported it to the people. And then the people rejected it. God repeated it. Moses questioned it. But the good news, God answered it. But he answered it later. Let me close with a concluding thought. Jesus' worst day was the best day for him to reveal his glory. 
and make it our best day. His worst day wasn't the temptation. His worst day wasn't when the disciples expressed a lack of faith. His worst day wasn't in the upper room when the disciples before dinner refused to wash the feet of the other disciples, even his own feet. No, his worst day had to have been that cross where the misdeeds, the filth, the sin, the garbage of the whole world was put on him. And as he carried his cross beam through the streets of Jerusalem, so he was carrying that garbage, your garbage, my garbage, with him. And as that beam was put into place with Jesus on it, so was the mess of life placed on him so that when he died after six hours of excruciating pain surely the worst day ever for him that stuff was on him when he died for our sin but as it's turned out it was absolutely the best day For God the Father to be glorified. For God to reveal His excellence, His superiority in that death. And eventually the resurrection. Taking the worst day into the best day. For God to be glorified. And in that event, provided our best day as well when we truly believe that the Lord Jesus, for some reason we will never, ever fully understand, died for us. That's got to be the best day ever we could live. And someday, we live in His presence. We live in His presence forever. Let's pray. I want you to take just a few moments to do some reflecting. On this passage of Scripture, remembering especially who the Lord God is. Asking the Spirit to make that alive often we we've heard so much preaching over the years that it's kind of like nothing really stirs us anymore so I'd like you to pray Spirit of God stir me refresh me
renew me, even with my pain, the heartache that I'm going through. Yes, refresh me with who the Lord God really is, with who he is. And then help me to be revived that he will do what is best for us as he did for his people. We don't know what that is at times. We may be in a holding pattern. Just waiting. Just waiting. The promise is there. He will do what is best in his time. So friends, before we dismiss and uh, Moises leads us in the great I am, this is your time. Make the most of it. Put it before the Lord God and then I will close in prayer.